Section 8 of A Popular History of France, Volume 4. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Cathy Barrett. A Popular History of France from the Earliest Times, Volume 4, by François Guizot. Translated by Robert Black. Chapter 28. Francis I and Charles V, Part 8. In respect of Italy, Francis I was less wise and less successful. Not only did he persist in the stereotyped madness of the conquest of Milaness and the kingdom of Naples, but abandoning for the moment the prosecution of it in person, he entrusted it to his favourite, Admiral Bonivet, a brave soldier, alternately rash and backward, presumptuous and irresolute, who had already lost credit by the mistakes he had committed and the reverses he had experienced in that arena. At the very juncture when Francis I confided this difficult charge to Bonivet, the constable de Bourbon, having at last got out of France, crossed Germany, repaired to Italy, and halted at Mantua, Piacenza, and Genoa, and whilst waiting for a reply from Charles V, whom he had informed of his arrival, he associated with the leaders of the imperial armies, lived amongst the troops, inoculated them with his own ardour as well as warlike views, and by his natural superiority regained, amongst the European coalition, the consideration and authority which had been somewhat diminished by his ill success in his own country and his flight from it. Charles V was some time about sending an answer, for in his eyes also Bourbon had fallen somewhat. Quote, was it prudent, says the historian of Bourbon himself, to trust a prince who, though born near the throne, had betrayed his own blood and forsworn his own country? Charles V might no doubt have ensured his fidelity had he given him in marriage Eleanor of Austria, who was already affianced to him, but he could not make up his mind to unite the destiny of a princess, his own sister, with that of a prince whose position was equally pitiable and criminal. At last, however, he decided to name him his lieutenant-general in Italy, but he surrounded him with so many colleagues and so much surveillance that he had nothing to fear from his remorse and repentance. Bourbon, however, though thus placed in a position of perplexity and difficulty, was none the less an adversary with whom Bonivet was not in a condition to cope. It was not long before this was proved by facts. The campaign of 1524 in Italy, brilliant as was its beginning, what with the number and the fine appearance of the troops under Bonivet's orders, was, as it went on, nothing but a series of hesitations, contradictory movements, blunders and checks, which the army itself set down to its general's account. Bonivet, during his investment of Milan, had posted Bayard with a small corps in the village of Rebec. Quote, the good knight, who was never wont to murmur at any commission given him, said, Sir Admiral, you would send me to a village hard by the enemy, the which is without any fortress, and would need four times so many men as I have for to be in safety and to hold it. Sir Bayard, said the Admiral, go in peace. On my faith I promise you that within three days I will send you plenty of men with you for to hold Rebec, since I well know that it is not to be held with so few men. But never you mind, there shall not a mouse get out of Milan without you have notice of it. And so much did he say of one sort and another, that the good knight, with great disgust, went away with the men told off to him to his post in Rebec. He wrote many times to the admiral that he was in very dangerous plight, and that if he would have them hold out long he should send him aid, but he got no answer. The enemies who were inside Milan were warned that the good knight was in Rebec with very little company, so they decided on a knight to go and surprise and defeat him and the good knight, who was ever on his guard, set nearly every night half his men to watch and to listen, and himself passed two or three nights at it, in such sort that he fell ill, as much from melancholy as from cold, and far more than he let it appear. Howbeit he was forced to keep his room that day. 
When it came on towards night, he ordered some captains who were with him to go on the watch. They went, or made show of going, but because it rained a little, back went all those who were on the watch, save three or four poor archers, the which, when the Spaniards approached within bowshot of the village, made no resistance, but took to flight, shouting, Alarm! Alarm! The good knight, who in such jeopardy never slept but with his clothes on, rose at once, had the bridle put on a charger that was already saddled, and went off with five or six men-at-arms of his, straight to the barrier whither incontinently came up Captain Lorge and a certain number of his foot, who bore themselves mighty well. The uproar was great, and the alarm was hot. Then said the good knight to Captain Lorge, Lorge, my friend, this is an unequal sort of game. If they pass this barrier, we are cooked." I pray you, retire your men, keep the best order you can, and march straight to the camp at Abiat Grasso. I, with the horse I have, will remain in the rear. We must leave our baggage to the enemy. There is no help for it. Save we the lives, if possible. The enemy sought on all sides for the good knight, but he had already arrived at Abiat Grasso, where he had some unpleasant words with the admiral. Howbeit, I will not make any mention of them, but if they had both lived longer than they did live, they would probably have gone a little farther. The good knight was like to die of grief at the mishap that had befallen him, even though it was not his fault. But in war there is hap and mishap more than in all other things. The situation of the French army before Milan was now becoming more and more, not insecure only, but critical. Bonivet considered it his duty to abandon it and fall back towards Piedmont, where he reckoned upon finding a corps of five thousand Swiss, who were coming to support their compatriots engaged in the service of France. Near Romagnano, on the banks of the Sicia, the retreat was hotly pressed by the imperial army, the command of which had been ultimately given by Charles V to the constable de Bourbon, with whom were associated the viceroy of Naples, Charles de Lannois, and Ferdinand de Valos, Marquis of Pescara, the most able amongst the Neapolitan officers. On the 30th of April, 1524, some disorder took place in the retreat of the French and bonivet being severely wounded had to give up the command to the count of st paul and to chevalier bayard bayard last as well as first in the fight according to his custom charged at the head of some men-at-arms upon the imperialists who were passing the french too closely when he was himself struck by a shot from an arquebus which shattered his reins quote, jesus my god he cried i am dead End quote he then took his sword by the handle and kissed the cross-hilt of it as the sign of the cross saying aloud as he did so quote, have pity on me o god according to thy great mercy miserere me deus secundum magnum misericordiam tuam therefore he became incontinently quite pale and all but fell but he still had heart enough to grasp the pommel of the saddle and remained in that condition until a young gentleman his own house-steward helped him to dismount and set him down under a tree with his face to the enemy the poor gentleman burst into tears seeing his good master so mortally hurt that remedy there was none but the good knight consoled him gently saying quote, jacques my friend leave off thy mourning it is god's will to take me out of this world by his grace i have lived long therein and have received therein blessings and honours more than my due all the regret i feel at dying is that i have not done my duty so well as i ought i pray you jacques my friend let them not take me up from this spot for when i move i feel all the pains that one can feel short of death which will seize me soon the constable de bourbon being informed of his wound came to him saying quote, 
Bayard, my friend, I am sore distressed at your mishap. There is nothing for it but patience. Give not way to melancholy. I will send in quest of the best surgeons in this country, and by God's help you will soon be healed. Quote, my lord, answered Bayard, there is no pity for me. I die having done my duty. But I have pity for you, to see you serving against your king, your country, and your oath. Bourbon withdrew without a word. The Marquis of Pescara came passing by. Quote, would to God, gentle Sir Bayard, said he, that it had cost me a quart of my blood, without meeting my death, that I had been doomed not to taste meat for two years, and that I held you safe and sound my prisoner, for by the treatment I showed you, you should have understanding of how much I esteemed the high prowess that was in you. He ordered his people to rig up a tent over Bayard, and to forbid any noise near him, so that he might die in peace. Bayard's own gentlemen would not, at any price, leave him. Quote, I do beseech you, he said to them, to get you gone, else you might fall into the enemy's hands, and that would profit me nothing, for all is over with me. To God I commend ye, my good friends, and I recommend to you my poor soul, and salute, I pray you, the king our master, and tell him that I am distressed at being no longer able to do him service, for I had good will thereto. And to my lords the princes of France, and all my lords my comrades, and generally to all gentlemen of the most honoured realm of France when ye see them. Quote, he lived for two or three hours yet. There was brought to him a priest to whom he confessed, and then he yielded up his soul to God, whereat all the enemy had mourning incredible. Five days after his death, on the 5th of May, 1524, Borin wrote to Charles V, Sir, albeit Sir Bayard was your enemy's servant, yet was it pity of his death, for it was a gentle knight, well beloved of every one, and one that lived as good a life as ever any man of his condition. And in truth he fully showed it by his end, for it was the most beautiful that I ever heard tell of. By the chiefs of the Spanish army, certain gentlemen were commissioned to bear him to the church, where solemn service was done for him during two days. Then by his own servitors was he carried into Dauphiny, and on passing through the territory of the Duke of Savoy, where the body was rested, he did it as many honours as if it had been his own brothers. When the news of his death was known in Dauphiny, I trow that never for a thousand years died there gentlemen of the country mourned in such sort. He was borne from church to church, at first near Grenoble, where all my lords of the Parliament Court of Dauphiny, my lords of the Exchequer, pretty well all the nobles of the country, and the greater part of all the burgesses, townsfolk, and villagers came half a league to meet the body. Then into the church of Notre-Dame, in the aforesaid Grenoble, where a solemn service was done for him. Then to a house of Minimes, which had been founded aforetime by his good uncle the Bishop of Grenoble, Laurent Allemand, and there he was honourably interred then every one withdrew to his own house but for a month there was a stop put to festivals dances banquets and all other pastimes last they had good reason for greater loss could not have come upon the country it is a duty and an honour for history to give to such lives and such deaths as remarkable for modesty as for manly worth the full place which they ought to occupy in the memory of mankind the french army continued its retreat under the orders of the count of st paul and re-entered france by way of Souza and briançon it was francis i's third time of losing milaness charles v enchanted at the news wrote on the twenty fourth of may to henry the eighth i keep you advertised of the good opportunity it has pleased god to offer us of giving a full account of our common enemy i pray you to carry into effect on your side that which you and i have for a long while desired wherein I, for my part, will exert myself with all my might. Bourbon proposed to the two sovereigns a plan well calculated to allure them. 
he made them an offer to enter france by way of provence with his victorious army to concentrate there all the reinforcements promised him to advance up the rhone making himself master as he went of the only two strong places monaco and marseilles he would have to encounter to march on lyon from the side on which that city was defenceless and be in four months at paris whether or no he had a great battle to deliver on the march Quote, if the king wishes to enter france without delay said he to henry the eighth's ambassador i give his grace leave to pluck out my two eyes if i am not master of paris before all saints paris taken all the kingdom of france is in my power paris in france is like milan in lombardy if milan is taken the duchy is lost in the same way paris taken the whole of france is lost by this plan bourbon calculated on arriving victorious at the centre of france in his own dominions and there obtaining from both nobles and people the co-operation that had failed him at the outset of his enterprise the two sovereigns were eager to close with the proposal of the frenchman who was for thus handing over to them his country a new treaty was concluded between them on the twenty fifth of may fifteen twenty four regulating the conditions and means of carrying out this grand campaign and it was further agreed that provence and dauphiny should be added to the constable's old possessions and should form a state which charles v promised to raise to a kingdom there was yet a difficulty looming ahead bourbon still hesitated to formally acknowledge henry the eighth as king of france and promise him allegiance but at last his resistance was overcome at the moment of crossing the frontier into france and after having taken the communion he said to the english ambassador sir richard pace in the presence of four of his gentlemen quote, I promise you on my faith to place the crown, with the help of my friends, on the head of our common master. But employing a ruse of the old feudal times, the last gasp of a troubled conscience, Bourbon, whilst promising allegiance to Henry VIII, persisted in refusing to do him homage. Sir Richard Pace nonetheless regarded the question as decided, and whilst urging Cardinal Wolsey to act swiftly and resolutely in the interests of their master, he added, quote, if you do not pay regard to these matters, I shall set down to your grace's account the loss of the crown of France. Bourbon entered Provence on the 7th of July, 1524, with an army of 18,000 men, which was to be joined before long by six or seven thousand more. He had no difficulty in occupying Antibes, Fréjus, Draguignan, Brignoles, and even Esch, and he already began to assume the title of Count of Provence whilst preparing for a rapid march along by the Rhone and a rush upon Lyon, the chief aim of the campaign. But the Spanish generals whom Charles V had associated with him, and amongst others the most eminent of them, the Marquis of Pascara, peremptorily insisted that according to their master's order he should besiege and take Marseille. Charles V cared more for the coasts of the Mediterranean than for those of the Channel. He flattered himself that he would make of Marseilles a southern Calais, which should connect Germany with Spain, and secure their communications, political and commercial. Bourbon objected and resisted. It was the abandonment of his general plan for this war, and a painful proof how powerless he was against the wishes of the two sovereigns, of whom he was only the tool, although they called him their ally. Being forced to yield, he began the siege of Marseilles on the 19th of August. The place, though but slightly fortified and ill-supplied, made an energetic resistance. The name and the presence of Bourbon at the head of the besiegers excited patriotism. The Burgesses turned soldiers. The cannon of the besiegers laid open their walls, but they threw up a second line, an earthen rampart called the Ladies' Rampart, because all the women in the city had worked at it. The siege was protracted. The reinforcements expected by Bourbon did not arrive. A shot from Marseilles penetrated into Pascara's tent, and killed his almoner and two of his gentlemen. 
Bourbon rushed up. Quote, Don't you see, said Pescara to him ironically, here are the keys sent to you by the timid consuls of Marseille. Bourbon resolved to attempt an assault. The Lanxnecks and the Italians refused. Bourbon asked Pescara for his Spaniards, but Pescara would only consent on condition that the breach was reconnoitred afresh. Seven soldiers were told off for this duty. Four were killed, and the other three returned wounded, reporting that between the open breach and the entrenchment extended a large ditch filled with fireworks and defended by several batteries. The assembled general officers looked at one another in silence. Quote, well, gentlemen, said Pascara, you see that the folks of Marseilles keep a table well spread for our reception. If you like to go and sup in paradise, you are your own masters so far. As for me, who have no desire to go thither just yet, I am off. But believe me, he added seriously, we had best return to Milanes. We have left that country without a soldier. We might possibly find our return cut off. End quote. Whereupon Pascara got up and went out, and the majority of the officers followed him. Bourbon remained almost alone, divided between anger and shame. Almost as he quitted this scene, he heard that Francis I was advancing towards Provence with an army. The king had suddenly decided to go to the succor of Marseilles, which was making so good a defence. Nothing could be a bitterer pill for Bourbon than to retire before Francis I, whom he had but lately promised to dethrone, but his position condemned him to suffer everything without allowing him the least hesitation and on the twenty eighth of september fifteen twenty four he raised the siege of marseilles and resumed the road to italy harassed even beyond toulon by the french advance guard eager in its pursuit of the traitor even more than of the enemy End of section eight.